Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Thank God for Dennis Villeneuve. He's come to save us from the recent 2016 movie slump with his elegant and emotional sci-fi powerhouse, Arrival. Throughout our conversation, you're going to get spoilers for The Addams Family, Interstellar, Hellboy 2, Jurassic Park 3, E.T., The Arrival, Contact, Independence Day, District 9, Cloverfield, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and the Garth Brooks song, The Dance. So, have, have you ever uh, tried uh, Google searching Tom York when you go in and, and it's like, what's the one thing that Tom York's really known for? You Google search it. And then Surely it's like... Google music or something. <laughs> <Right>. Discography. <laughs> music, right. You type in Tom York and the suggestions in Google, one of them is like Tom York's eye, right? His lazy eye. Sure. And then uh, there's another one if you Poor do it with, with Trent Reznor. You type in Trent Reznor and he's, apparently he's known for his strong looking arms. Oh. Type in Trent Reznor and one of the suggestions is Trent Reznor arms. I was, so I was wondering music again. Yeah, <laughs> again, I would have went towards discography. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering... If you were to type in Forrest Whitaker, what kind of Google suggestions you'd get? You think it's, a, it's the Tom York thing again? No, surely it's, no, it's got to be his films. <laughs> surely <laughs> that's the Forrest most important <laughs> thing people Google. So yeah, you, you type in Forrest Whitaker and it's suggested Forrest Whitaker's eye. No. Yeah. Why are people looking <laughs> up? There? I want to see photos of Forrest Whitaker's eye right it's now. It's actually <laughs> not Forrest Whitaker's eye because people don't. People Google in Google. <laughs> People Google in caveman speak. Nobody right. writes apostrophe S I. Right. They write Forrest Whitaker I. Right. <laughs> right. And that is the suggestion. Speaking of Forrest Whitaker, let me tell you a little story about how I got to where I am today. <laughs> sure. So three years ago, I see this trailer for this movie called Prisoners, and I think to myself, I think, that looks pretty cool. I, I reckon I'll go see that at the movie theater. I did, and let me tell you, blown away. This became a, a big thing for me, seeing this movie and how much I loved it. Then, last year, this movie comes out by the same director. His name, which I'm going to try to say, is French. Denis Villeneuve. That was pretty Dennis. good. Dennis. Den- <laughs> old Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> um, Denis Villeneuve. He's like, oh, he made another movie. It's called Sicario or... I say to myself, well, that's probably good, too. So then I goes to see that, and I think the same thing. And then this year, 2016, it's like, hey, this same cat has just cooked out a science fiction movie. I think I like science fiction. I like this director. Um, and then so I go and see this movie. And Patrick's here. He saw it as well. I saw it as well. Matt Matt Hughes. Yeah, I saw it. And Tyler. Which movie? Uh, it's called Arrival. Oh, yeah, I saw Arrival. You heard of it? Yeah. In fact, you had to go... Out and see it by yourself in the middle of the day so that you... I took a long lunch. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to slip away from work for two hours. Took a long lunch. Strolled over to the movie theater. Bought myself some Milk Duds. You bought Milk Duds? Yeah. I like At chocolate. the theater? I like chocolate and caramel, so... Man, you're just made of money. How much in, uh, did they cost? I don't know. At like a Regal? Yeah, they, a must, regal. they were probably oh, $6. At least five fifty. No, it wasn't that much. Well, you should have gone to the three, Dollar Tree because you can get movie theater candy for a dollar. Well, there's Elephants. Elephants at Delicatessen is right next door, and their candy is twice as much. It really well, is. Even Fox Tower, and that's expensive theater. But Milk Duds are the lowest of the movie candies. Why did you no, get those? Milk no, Milk Duds are, 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 are near the yeah, top of the movie. Milk Duds are better did you, than did you, Milk yeah, Oh, did you milk, yeah, right? of course. Did you hear they saved a man's life. Chocolate and caramel? It's great. They're good. Yeah. Chocolate and caramel is superior to chocolate and mint. 
No, that's not true. A junior mint saved someone's life. <laughs> Aside from Seinfeld <laughs> references. <laughs> I got to agree. Caramel that. is superior to mint. Yeah, chocolate and caramel are always going to win out over chocolate mint. It's just yeah, like milk you milk a candy bar and brush your teeth. I'm really going to upset you here. I also think that chocolate and caramel is superior to chocolate and peanut butter. No, that's, that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing that's, you've ever that's said. That's just downright So I'm going foolish. milk duds and then junior mints and then Reese's. You put no mint over Are peanut butter? Are you yeah. freaking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Reese's Absolutely is the greatest not. of all theater candy. No. Should we shut this down? Yeah. <laughs> So well, candy, well at least Bethany's got to be proud at the idea of you sitting in the theater having bought your own chocolate candy. It was great, snacking. man. Just treat myself. Yeah. How come you never buy Milk Duds when we all go to the movies and share them? Because uh, Bethy's there. Usually, yeah, Bethy buys all the snacks. <laughs> That's fair. Now, let's just come out of the gate. Uh, hey, you forgot to introduce Abby. Oh, my gosh. Your own wife. <laughs> you know what? Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You're married? We've been on this podcast so many times, just these guys, and here she is, and frankly, I'm a little tired of her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you heard everything a person's got to say for a decade, and you just can't stand it anymore. <laughs> Abby also saw the arrival. In fact, uh, not the arrival, arrival. In fact, we saw it together. We did. For your anniversary. Mm-hmm. We did. Congratulations. Our Happy our anniversary. anniversary. It, was <laughs> <laughs> it was actually uh, an accommodation on her part. She says, to me, she says, let's go see a movie. Because as you know from our website, Abby's more like a casual moviegoer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And less like a cinephile. Mm. And Although she's petitioning to be moved up the ranks. I to what? She wants to be a film lover. I do love films. The ones I love. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong argument. It's the best argument I've <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> it's a short list. It's a decidedly short list. <laughs> but it she loves them. Father of the Bride and Moulin Rouge. <laughs> which are both great movies and should be loved. We yeah. should uh, we should treat our, our contributors page like a yearbook where you get a, a senior quote. Her should be, <laughs> I love the films I love. Yeah, <laughs> solid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got to think real hard about mine. Now the pressure's on. Uh, yeah. Now, um, even though Abby was neglected in the intro to this show, and even though um, she's not a cinephile, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a positive reaction to Arrival. I did. I loved it. Loved it. You'd go as far as to say... So it falls into the category yeah, of movies. I'm a film lover. You, <laughs> love, yeah. you love the films you love, <laughs> including Arrival. <laughs> Patrick, can you give us your quick thought on Arrival? Um, I loved it. It was, I didn't even see a trailer or really see a poster. I didn't know Jeremy Renner was in it when I went into it. So I thought it was um, great and surprisingly emotional. (laughs) It really affected me. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Hughes? I, uh, I loved it. I think it's maybe my favorite of all of Dennis Villeneuve's movies and yeah i was really emotionally affected on a on a soul deep level mm, soul deep Jeez. now you can offer the uh the count the balance yeah bring Tyler. some sensibility yeah. to this <laughs> yeah I've, I've already given myself away i i really liked the film but i have some criticism would you call yourself a film liker <laughs> 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 i have a lot of respect for arrival i think that it's very uh subtle and sophisticated thoughtful yeah but i I have criticism for it all right well i'll show my cards too so we can all gang up on you apparently because i also uh loved the movie and like how much are we all like patrick at this point because i i had not seen a trailer either 
and I'd also, even to the degree that I didn't know Jeremy Renner was on it, I didn't even really know what it was about other than it had Amy Adams and there were aliens. Right. I knew it was an alien movie with Amy Adams. Right. I think Peter, that's on the podcast, he told me that he watched some of the trailer and turned it off because he knew he wanted to see it. And I said, well, I just won't watch the trailer then. Yeah. And that's, that's where I got it from. I think I saw the first maybe 10 seconds of the teaser and just went, yeah, I mean, look at Amy Adams in a spaceship. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> that's, is that enough? <laughs> it was enough for me. <laughs> got me to the... Th- and, well, and then later on, I found out that it was by... The director of Dennis. Enemy and Prisoners yeah. and Denis. Sicario, Denis yeah. Villeneuve. Yeah, you're that's solid French. I keep mm-hmm. I keep yeah. finding myself more and more agreeing with our friend Josiah, who famously dislikes <laughs> Amy Adams. Really, <laughs> I don't know why. Have you I seen just, Enchanted? Because she's wonderful. I'm right? I'm not charmed by her anymore. I used to think she was fine. She you was great in like the fighter. You thought you she thought was fine, fine or like, <laughs> like fine. <laughs> no, I used to think she was fine. <laughs> yeah. She was great in the fighter. She's great in the fighter. She's been good in other things. Uh watch them up it's again. But I, I really <laughs> I really disliked her in Man of Steel and I and I did not love her in this. I thought she gave thought a, a strong performance, even as it was. It was fine. <laughs> Who did you think <laughs> would be better? Because I normally I don't, don't like her at all, but I thought she was good. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I think that if, if I've seen Sicario, I haven't seen Enemy or Prisoners. Uh, I haven't. I haven't watched them she's yet. She's in. Um, but no, she's not in them. No. I'm just talking about Dennis's. Oh. Movies, Dimmy, and I and I remember thinking during the film how much I loved Sicario and and wishing uh, I wish Emily Blunt was in this instead of Amy Adams. Mm. Emily Blunt's great. Yeah, she could have been a good spot, but Amy Adams was because she's such like a relatable character in all of her movies. I think this was like this she's made like it an every woman. So. She's yeah. down to earth. Yeah, and so she's in the spaceship. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. This movie is clearly down to earth. It's it's very realistic, and it's not like overly dramatic in the way that the actors are portrayed. I mean, the characters are portrayed by the actors. So I think she did a good job with the style of acting that Dennis wanted from. <laughs> keep saying Dennis. Yeah, stop. <laughs> you know, Denis. What, what I think there's one aspect that I appreciated about. Arrival, distinct from even just the specific plot and the you know the story elements and the way the movie unfolded, was that watching this guy's filmography and we don't have to unpack all the other movies in uh, you know elaborate detail or anything, but there's always a little bit of like uh, oh I like it because it brings to mind shades of this other filmmaker that I like, but not in a derivative or copycat sort of way. It's just like in a complimentary sort of way where I can say, oh, if you like David Fincher's movies, then you will really like Prisoners. It's in that same wheelhouse, and it does not feel like he's aping that at all. It feels like competent, something completely his own, um, but, you know, a similar shade or whatever. And Arrival felt like uh, very Stanley Kubrick, you know. It felt uh, paced much like... Uh, The Shining or 2001, it felt like the same uh, highs and lows in terms of you'd you'd get built up to something and then snatched out of it really fast and there would be long lulls for the sake of making the audience want to get back to, you know, up in the spaceship or whatever. Yeah, it was it was slow and uh, paced. Um, It it, it paced itself. Yeah, (laughs) it paced itself in its paste. 
Paceness, which I appreciated. There's a lot of people, uh, Peter, uh, our friend Peter who's been on here, he called it boring. And I don't think that I would call it boring. Um, but I think that if I'm going to show my cards here, the, the slow build to a lot of these things, you expect there to be a significant payoff. And I, I, I think that it w- in some ways, yes, I appreciated the thoughtfulness. And in others, I thought, well, why did we spend so much time doing this when it really... You don't think the payoff that she could see through time and all of the stuff that we'd heard no, about her daughter that. that we thought was dead was I really about home. Ultimately or like on a case-by-case case, basis? Case-by-case case oh, okay. and even ultimately. We spent a lot of time trying to discover who these aliens are. And we find out pretty quickly that they're just a bunch of walking hands on a table. <laughs> Sure. They're just they're just they're that, that severed hand from the monsters running around behind. <laughs> no, that's them. the Adams, Adams family. Adams family. Yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Should have Thing. Forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> it's that severed hand running around behind a piece of glass. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, riding on Fester's shoulder. And and the the lead in is about Amy Adams and her daughter, but then the the movie quickly takes a turn onto who are these aliens? What are they doing here? And we don't. R- even written on the poster why are they here and i don't think that they answer that question very well to give like us a what gift. are we doing here yeah no like no 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 quid pro quo yeah. what are they doing here is not to give us well they gave us a gift but it's to give us a gift that we might use it f- in return for yeah. them three thousand years from now yeah which right. is a quick passing line that we never get an answer to well no i think, think that the arrival is a great a great time spent uh, investing into these aliens and who what they're about when the return uh, that we receive is about Amy Adams and her family. But I still want to know about these aliens. We spent so much time, time trying to figure out who these aliens are and we never got it. Yeah, and I, I, what I liked about it is that, though, is that the we want to see, you know, the whole alien did we even really see the whole thing clearly like one the, time yeah, we don't one know. time it was like kind of smoke but it could have been abbott, like higher abbott and costello standing yeah. by yeah. the glass was sad when once she she's floating around <laughs> there they start looking less like a hand and more like a right. squid or something yeah. Yeah. like right. a, yeah there was like maybe eyes at the top and it had a weird little dump yeah right but so as the viewer we're wanting to know more about the alien but right. what i love about so much of it is about the aliens and i get that that all along we've been following the story of amy adams and her and her family right but there were, t- there were two storylines happening side yes. by side, and one of them led nowhere. But I think that's true also. That's putting us in the place of the characters who wanted to know so much about the aliens, and we as the audience and them are left only with what Amy Adams finds out when she learns to read Heptapod. Right. So let me say this. If there's a sequel and we find out what the deal is 3,000 years from now, I'll, I'll retract my critique. Like, you, you need a 2002 I a Space need, Odyssey? I, n- I need... I need this movie that is so serious about its nonlinear thinking to finally tie in this loose end. It's not going to. That was the point if of the story. Everything was supposed the, to be circular. That wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was to teach us about uh, how time and linear time, you, right. you settle in the moments and things like Which that. Which I appreciated. I thought that was thoughtful and sophisticated. Right. I really liked that. I kind of, I, I get what you're saying because as the viewer, I was also like hungry for details because it was it was fascinating and i appreciated that even in a genre that we've pretty much seen everything that there is to do it felt 
it felt kind of fresh. It felt like I didn't know what was going to happen, which is hard to do, especially in this type of sci-fi movie, which we've seen a lot of this type of thing. Right. Um, so I get that and I get, you know, that's, that's the tendency. Anytime it's interesting is to be like, Oh man, I want to see more of them or I want to hear more, but I appreciated the restraint of the movie because it was like this huge global concept and there were global consequences. And yet, Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like he was only primarily concerned with the character of, um, Amy Adams is, uh, whose name I've already lost, but Lois. no, not Lois, (laughs) um, with Amy Adams, uh, character, and resolving this weird thing with the daughter that we don't find out about until the third and final act of yeah. the movie, um, which was a great reveal. It, yeah. it, was. Yeah. it was. I gossed. I, it didn't. I didn't see it coming. It, it was really effective. So I liked that it didn't. I saw go, it, it didn't go into the full <laughs> like liar. Uh, you know, Independence Day style. We learn everything there is to know and how to beat right. them and everything. Right. I liked that, even though it was like, man, this is like a global phenomenon, and yet we're mostly following around this character in a very narrow story arc, which was uh, fleshed out really well, realized in full her arc and the consequences of it. And by the time you understand the stakes of the decision that she has to make, uh, the emotional impact is like, boom. And then Mm -hmm. when that emotional impact hits, uh, you no longer, the viewer, if when it's effective and it was for me are like, Oh, I'm not even thinking about the aliens at this point, I'm thinking about like the ramifications of what this means for her. And totally. And I really appreciated the story they were telling that way. I think that maybe Denis could have changed things so that we weren't spending so much time trying to discover who these aliens are. I think that we we did begin the movie with uh, uh, a narration of sorts from Amy Adams' character about her daughter and experiencing life in pieces, seeing the end and the middle at the same time kind of a thing, which was hazy at, at first. Uh, so I appreciate that the human factor was prominent, but we spent a lot of time trying to figure out who these aliens are and kind of forgot about the, the human Well, they had to do some of level it. of yeah. misdirection to right. get us off. Because when you think back to it now... The opening monologue and the um, the montage of the girl growing up and dying, which happens as soon as the movie opens. Right. Once you know the reveal, it seems terribly obvious. She's essentially telling you everything that you need to know. And that I used to think that this was beginning, that you're beginning and you're end, and now I understand that. Uh, but really, it began back when they arrived. Right. right? And we have no resource to understand yeah. that. We, of course, assume that since we received that information first chronologically, and then we join Amy Adams at a point where she has no daughter. Uh-huh. Certainly, this is after the fact. She seems like a sad sort of person. So how in the world did you see this coming? I don't believe you. So the <laughs> <laughs> at the very beginning, when she's talking about how she sees her daughter in all these moments in, in life, and then she says, I got to start here uh, when they arrived, it's kind of a foreshadow into some type of time travel, I thought. I thought it was kind of obvious. Uh, I didn't obviously know what that meant specifically. She not she didn't physically travel through time. It wasn't like Interstellar even where she was manipulating gravity through time. Thank goodness. Um, and this could be uh, uh, versus Interstellar because the endings were so similar. To it's me. similar, yeah. Uh, Peter called it a boring Interstellar. Peter's oh ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, oh that's God. absurd. But what gave it away to me uh, was when 
we're we're learning about uh, the language of these heptapods, and they're talking about how they don't think linearly. That their even their language uh, revolves in, in a circle as they see time, and that was all very fascinating. But then when she starts experiencing these these what appear to be flashbacks um, of her daughter as if maybe she's just haunted by them or there's something triggering these emotions in her. Um, when she said something about, if you want science, you're going to have to go ask your father. Yeah. I thought, Oh, she's talking about Jeremy Renner right away. Hmm. And later, yeah. later that is the reveal. Right. I and said, there's oh, the picture great. of mommy and daddy talk to animals and there's the bird there. Right. The, yeah, the, the canary, canary, the yeah. canary in the cage. Side, sidebar. Can someone tell me about the bird? Did I it's miss like a coal miners? Mine. Yeah, coal miners would take it down there because they'll die sooner if the air goes bad. So coal miners would take canaries down into coal mines, and if there was bad air, the bird would stop singing, and the coal miners knew they needed to get out. So it's basically a really unscientific, it's archaic if, form if the, of testing the air. If the atmosphere goes crappy, right, we need was, to leave when the bird dies. It was mainly for the viewers to understand. Oh, I can take my mask off because the bird is alive. I can be alive. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So Very the boy, the canary that the trolls would eat. Yes, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Man, down, right down. <laughs> I love Hellboy. So the that was that ended up being the the big reveal is that what she's seeing in these supposed flashbacks or memories uh, are actually premonitions of the future, which is great. And even even further, what we learn about her being a ling- linguist and. Um, there's a, there's some conversation. <laughs> My actually, I have criticism. There's some conversation in the film about how when you, when you're a linguist or you're learning a language, there's certain milestones that show uh, your understanding of the language. Like I have a, a friend who studied Russian, studied the le- Russian language for the military so that he could translate uh, Russian intercepts. And he said that uh, a milestone for them is when you start to think in Russian, which totally kind of changes the way that your brain is wired. And uh, even so, like I had some people that I met in Nicaragua, they're like, oh, that you when you're fluent in Spanish, then you'll dream in Spanish. These are kind of like signs for when you've understood a language thoroughly. So they have this conversation in the movie, but it's in a dream sequence where she's having that conversation with Jeremy Renner. And uh, so I really appreciate... Uh, that concept that she's learning this alien language and it's transforming the way her mind perceives time yeah. the, the more she understands it, which is really fascinating. And I, re- I applaud that, that thought <laughs> process. But, but <laughs> the dream sequence this is totally separate. That, that, that line of thought is fantastic. But the dream sequence in which this conversation took place with the heptapod standing in the room that was dumb, right? No, no, that dream sequence was that, amazing. That didn't make you think of the talking raptor from Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> no, I thought, man, th- actually, I can use that to make a case for just his uh, his approach to tonality in movies in general, because he's one of these directors, a lot like David Fincher or Stanley Kubrick. I don't mean to keep using the easiest references, but that will take material that in and of itself doesn't have to be dark and ominous and intense. And then he will play up the dark and ominous for the, for as much as you possibly can, even when there's no real reason to have it be. So we could 
have this scene with the first meeting with the heptapods, which would be thrilling and in a bit scary, no matter what. Um, but they go so ominous with it, with this yeah. like, chilling, deep ambient score and them like coming out of the dark with this beautifully framed shot, you know, and it's black, this black charcoal chasm that you're looking through. And, uh, it just makes you feel this sense of dread, uh, the whole time, even when the movie starts to feel a little upbeat, like it's working, we're learning the language. Things are going better all the time. There's still this sense of like encroaching dread all the time. Yeah. They gave us this countdown clock pretty quick. Like, and yeah. And so the moment with the heptopod dream, felt like a it's almost like it's getting too comfortable scare them with, <laughs> with something and it worked on me i was like oh crap that <laughs> what you doing in here and i love yeah. that even in the dream because she hadn't gone up in the pod yet she could only dream about the that it looked like the thing. hand yeah. <laughs> like she couldn't yeah. even you know it was like still like cut off like by the yeah. frame but she, her we, dream didn't allow we, her to go up yeah. above we never see the, the wrist forearm. of the hand <laughs> right we see the forearm and the bicep yeah. of this area Trent Reznor's arm that gets Googled <laughs> wasn't up there above the yeah. hand. And, and I, my criticism is that it felt weird. It was like Jurassic Park and the Talking Raptor. It just felt weird to see this this alien standing in her room all of a sudden. <laughs> but I get, I get it that in that moment, the conversation is, do you dream in this alien dialect? And then the alien's there. It's just it's making its way into her subconscious. So I, I get it, but it just felt weird. By weird, did you mean cool? <laughs> and so Surely good and great direction. <laughs> what I like about this film and the director's other movies a lot is, and not since Tyler hasn't seen two of them, we're not, not spoiling right. them. Don't spoil Prisoners or Enemy. I'm not. I'm just saying like with Arrival and Sicario, you, you seem to be walking into a movie or a type of movie you've seen a lot and it just makes it fresh and you forget you're sitting in this kind of movie because you're so into the story and into the characters. Right. Yeah. We've seen first contact movies like first contact mm-hmm. and like close encounters of the third kind. Like we've and seen like these and like contact because first contact isn't a movie. <laughs> like E.T. <laughs> yeah. Like we've seen, we've seen this done. What about the arrival? Remember that with Charlie with Sheen, Charlie Sheen and a goatee. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. See, we've seen, we've seen these kind of movies and yeah. this one didn't this, feel this like actually, a tired. This the setup for this with all these mysterious, uh, cylindrical. What are they like? Shells. Stone, wasn't that what they were being called? Stone-shaped yeah. ships all over the world. Right. Mm. This is Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that they come and they accept that they they very deliberately made it not Independence Day by having Jeremy Renner narrate the part about no one knows why they're in the places they're at. They're not over like major mm. landmarks. They're not over the White House because it's not like a like disaster. That nar- alien didn't that movie. narration part seem lazy? Like they couldn't get all the exposition and conversation. They had to have Jeremy Renner no, narrate I, it. I was, I was into that because it's he was writing like for a journal, yeah, or like some kind of scientific journal, and uh, that he was still so short on details that it's almost like he has an obligation to the academic world to offer something, but a lot of it's just theoretical. So, what were his theories again about the placement? One was about like lightning. The um, least amount of lightning strikes, yeah. and then something to do was it Sheena Easton, a pop s- song that yeah, was popular. Yeah, that was in the a 80s. number number one pop song in the eighties in all those locations. Yeah, Sheena Montana. Easton? I might have made 20? that name up. I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't catch the artist's name. Sheena Easton, everybody. <laughs> That's but a real person. I like I that think. the the movie made these specific decisions. Like, well, let's you know, like the author of either the sh- the the novella that it's based on or the screenplay, whoever came up with the first, because I haven't read the story. 
um, that they're going to land on these super specific landmarks and no one knows why, that they're able to put those things out there because maybe that's the kind of situation you would be dealing with. But that's neither here nor there for our purposes. We're following this particular right, character in Montana and her yeah. story. Um, so I liked that it, it created for us, the viewer, a sense of that same... Uh, frustration with lack of information and a sense of like helplessness and that they they go into everything feeling like we don't know we don't know we don't know anything yeah and uh, even Louise uh, Amy Adams character when she first goes up in the shell and she's you're, you're already thinking like well sure the movies told us that she's some kind of like pro you know amazing linguist that's done stuff for the government before how in the world is she supposed to, I heard the recording. Mm-hmm. It's like worse than the prawns in district. Totally. There's no way that it's just clicking. And then at, yeah. at the end, <laughs> we're never going to get any translation from yeah. this, which was interesting because then they determined that there's no correlation between the noises they make and yeah. the language. So I thought it was cool because as the viewer, you're thinking that this ain't going to happen. Right. And then instead of being like, actually we figured out something and we're going to jump forward. It was this frustratingly slow incremental, Right. I love that part where she wrote the the sentence on the whiteboard for Forrest Whitaker and then like broke down all the parts of right. like why it's taking so long. I was like, that's such a quick piece of exposition and it's so clever to then set up the whole second act of the movie and like them up late at night and figuring stuff out and Ian mapping walks. stuff. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Just to reiterate, <laughs> I, I agree. The storyline of the linguist trying to communicate with aliens is fascinating but that the movie is about a linguist the movie is not about aliens coming to earth and we have to figure that out on our own early in the movie in order to appreciate it for what it is i think that it's just too too misleading at times it's too much about the aliens and not enough about like but one of the reasons that we sat around this table and talked about why we loved cloverfield is because it's this huge alien movie that just focuses really narrowly in on a group of people. Like, this is the same thing. It's a huge sci-fi global movie that is so burnt out by Hollywood, and now it's just focused down on, like, these key relationships between Louise and Ian and then their daughter. They were devices to tell the story of the Cloverfield. It was found footage, so we had to... this This is a story about a linguist, and there happens to be aliens. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. But so you're but wait, why are you mad about you're that? You're saying <laughs> that it created a disappointing. I, I'm saying uh, it, it's expect- confusing, a misleading. It's, oh, okay. It's yeah, yeah. I think that it weakened the the story because we spend so much time trying to learn about these aliens when it's they're really not. Well, they. I mean, he really did some well, work from from the opening shot on. You know, steeping you in a yeah an individual story. Yeah, this is about Amy Adams and her nonlinear life. Her non-linear life. They could have called now, it that. <laughs> well, I, non-linear life. What if, because at the end, obviously she has that book, the the universal language, and she's like she <laughs> knows how to read and understand uh-huh. heptapod, and she like to the point where the the Chinese general comes up, and then she like Bill and Ted's him with going <laughs> back in time to do the phone keys. thing. Yeah, exactly. Remember, Remember your, your keys. dad's keys, like that part. And so if everyone reads her book and can understand Heptapod, is the implication that if people, the the whole human race truly learn it, all of them will become 
outside yeah. of well, time. She they was have. the heptapods have. She was totally. uh, learning the language enough to have these premonitions, and the premonitions right. helped her to solve the, her problems in the moment. Yep. But then, in the premonition, she's a linguist teacher teaching people how to read. Did, was there a name for this language? It was called the book was called the Universal Language. Well, I yeah, think she at was the she book was launch there party. were students of this language. Okay, so in theory, yes, they would all learn how to think okay. nonlinearly. I wonder if that like that's the plan of the heptapods have this whole planet prepared to be three thousand years in <laughs> whatever, the future. Whatever, whatever the heck is going down in three thousand years, my Are goodness. We need to understand that um, they can't figure out that her. Well, they can't see their own oh. future in three thousand years. So how useful is it? Her spotty, uh, you know, understanding and use of the future insight was due to the fact that she was not yet, you know, fluent. fluent I think so. I think her synaptic pathways were just starting. (laughs) Hence the do you dream in it yet? Yeah, there's there's a there's like a a crucial checkpoint where you learn just enough to discover that you become a linguist expert. Then you're like, oh, I got it all now. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm good. And you can speak Chinese. Because it's in, you hear it once and it's well, in your memory. I I assumed that she because she's a linguist professor. Oh, that's true. She, she knows Mandarin. Yeah, but Tyler, they do know what's going to happen in the future. There's like who does the, the aliens? Yeah, because remember when right. the the Chinese uh, guy comes and says, "I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I feel like I need to." But this is the paradox this because he says to her, "Remember when you told me this?" And then he repeats it to her. Mm-hmm. She would have never heard it if he, she didn't already say it to him once. Well, it's a well, possible yeah. paradox. Well, it's like the Terminator thing. You know? right, it's it's got to start thing. somewhere. I'm, right. having, I'm having flashbacks to all our Terminators. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, let me throw this at you. For though. a second, I was like, why do I feel like we've... Because uh, I forgot we did... We did yeah, we did Terminator. all those Terminator ones. Wasn't it... To me, it affected me when we heard that uh, Abbott, uh, Abbott was death process. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like... <laughs> I'm sure sad. Like, they came and did all this with the realization that we might blow them up. Like... Right. Defensively, yeah. we could. They could have like gotten blown up, and they had. They Do came and took that risk. You mean with their, you know, ability to see into the future? That's right. Like Abbott. Abbott or knew he was going to get blown risk up. Risk management. <laughs> just like they weren't like su- they weren't so superior defensively, like that they could have stopped that. You know, like it yeah, was just kind of a crazy thing that like they came here and it was like a risk for them to do that. But if they're outside of time, why didn't they know that that bomb was there? And why didn't Abbott move back? Well, you also oh, because they had to come forward so that they could, in the right time, put all the, well, the one of 12 he, stuff. Abbott, Abbott, it, I don't know if they have gender. Abbott uh, managed to send some sort of uh, push through the air right. that to kicked them out Ian of the Louise. kicked them out of the gravity and then they floated away. Yeah, which Man, is that the soldier, trailer, by the way. That yeah. soldier was a jerk. Yeah, but I it's hated the same that. thing. The question at the end Turd. of the movie is like, if you knew this was going to happen, would you still do it? And Abbott said yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Now, now let me yeah. ask you this question. Here's another <laughs> criticism I had. Sure. The the big emotional reveal is that these these memories are actually premonitions of a future where her daughter will die of a rare illness. Right. And then she discovers, it's kind of a fun little moment where she says, I learned why my husband left me. And he's like, I didn't know you were married. And then we learn, oh, Jeremy Renner is her husband. Yeah. Um, so she sees her future and she decides to live it anyway, knowing that there was pain. Yeah. It's like that, the Garth Brooks song. Right. <laughs> the dance. That could... <laughs> that's you know like for a, a 
upper middle class white woman in, in America, that's probably not so bad. You know, seeing your child die is pretty s- I mean, excruciating. It's, it's excruciating. Suck for but anyone. she saw she saw the rest of the the rest of her future is like, oh, this isn't so bad. We're gonna run around and play cowboys and Indians. Now, yeah. all these students, <laughs> all these students who are learning the language and seeing their own futures, these lower classes <laughs> and and uh, less privileged. They're going individuals. Wow, they're thinking, "Our oh, crap! My life is gonna suck." Aren't well, no, because be presum- presumably, it? at some point, all the people who are learning the future will lead to a completely utopian society. But, no, there but, was, there, but was, there didn't seem to be any indication that she could change her future. There was a no. There, there was. I was about to say that there. Were, yeah. There was a Doc Brown uh, insinuation, at least I think, that because she kept talking about the decision that she she talked about it as though it were a decision right and even Absolutely when she still had this, a choice. this heartbreaking conversation with her daughter when her daughter's like six years old or something and she's saying uh you know like uh he dad couldn't understand um the decision i made the decision i made she said he thought i made the wrong choice to have this child knowing it would die. Yeah. yeah. Meaning then, that meant to me that she could see the future because she understands the language enough, but he doesn't right. understand the language enough to see it. And then he finds out the decision she made. Right. And we even have this moment where they're dancing in that nice house she had. And she's like, you want to make a baby? That she mid-century says, yes. modern home yeah. waterfront. <laughs> man, that's a rough life. <laughs> I know. Hey, man. That she is like the making top, some good money. She's the top linguistician. In America, like she should be able to afford a pretty nice home. So well, listen, she seemed like a professor. I don't she, know. She uh, she's probably an adjunct. In that though. moment, she has maybe she, has tenure. At this probably. point, she's <laughs> dancing with Jeremy like Renner. He says, "You want to make babies or whatever," which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, I've <laughs> never said that to my they're wife. They're dancing, and she says yes. We, the viewer, have got to assume that in that moment, she's at this point embracing the sweep yes. of where she believes her story will take her. Uh, and when she could just be like, "Oh nah. heck no!" Nah. Yeah, <laughs> no. Nah, yeah, the moment I got off that yeah. army base, I got my tube tied. Like, where yeah. I'm done. Because she's explaining it at that point when she says yes, and you can kind of look at her face to see that she's briefly contemplating it. Like, yeah, that so, was some yeah. phenomenal but the, acting by the, the beautiful Hunt. piece of screenwriting in that in that scene was the fact that uh, she referred to her daughter as unstoppable. Yeah, and she met in the sense of like she was still oh, yeah. going to realize the potential of her life and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And the daughter's like, "Oh, I'm unstoppable!" Like she was proud to hear herself called yeah. this thing, and she's like, "Yeah, that's right, you are." And then it took on this like multi-dimensional m- meaning in that she's unstoppable in the sense that they were helpless to to prevent this sad thing from happening because he she already loved her daughter that she didn't know yet, so she was unstoppable in that sense. And she's unstoppable in this other, you know, way a mom tells that her daughter that she's yeah. unstoppable. I thought that was really powerful and clever. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah. How did you feel about this, Abby, as a an emotional mother f- woman? <laughs> that is female you. Female yeah. mother. An emotional female Emotional mother, mother woman. woman female. Yeah, that was probably why I liked the movie as much as I did. I don't really care. I mean, I do care about the aliens. It was very interesting. <laughs> but the emotional factor... Uh, was my favorite part. Uh, what was exactly the question? Well, just what? How, how did, did you I f- feel? Feel about it? Yeah, because that that is the turning point of the movie. The whole movie is about her emotional connection with her future and her family, and understanding how to see these things and decide to, to yeah. choose the pain. 
I guess I don't I didn't fully understand why she couldn't change. I don't know. She this probably could have. Rare yeah. incurable disease. Well, or I don't would, know. Now like would you have stop made stop using BPAs or <laughs> All right, this Damn. podcast just changed. Yeah, okay, right. here, here we go. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would you have made the same decision? Oh, yes. Yeah. For sure. That's why it's so moving because you're like, oh my gosh, that's the most horrible thing. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, Josh, I would do that a million times. Would you have gotten mad? Uh, so I mad. I would have Jeremy Renner just peaced out when the kid was sick. You would have gotten so mad you would have left. That's the part I don't understand. I don't understand why he. He was psychologically crushed by the fact that it was an inevitability that they were heading toward uh-huh. and that she knew it all along. He felt betrayed that he wasn't right. invited into that decision. I mean, that that made sense to me yeah. as sure. in terms of character mm-hmm. development. But what would he have thought if that night that she said, do you want to have a, he said, do you want to have a baby? She's like, well, only if in 17 yeah. years. <laughs> so you know. This communicate. Ba- yeah. Commu- com- communicate. We're going to have a baby, but it's going to die. <laughs> why? Married, it's the key why. to a healthy marriage. I think they're married. They're no. married. I she wanted said, to ask you this, me. Abby, since you're you know, advocating for your position as a film lover. And ordinarily, if you've ever listened to Abby on this podcast, she has some weird things to say about great movies and often walks out of great movies being like, oh, I didn't like it because that guy's shirt was red or whatever. Um, <laughs> you go into uh, a science fiction movie. I mean, like a by the numbers science fiction. I mean, in terms of it is for sure a science fiction. That's not yeah. your favorite genre already. Um, it's a slow burn to say the least. I yeah. mean, it's very methodical in its pacing, which you get bored really easily at movies and always ask five minutes in. How long is this? Um, how uh, could you somehow describe how you got over those hurdles? and are able to say that you loved this movie because that was the word you used at the beginning yeah. of the episode. I don't agree that it's a slow burn, which is so weird because that was your critique. You were like, I felt like in some moments you said, you're like, I wasn't bored, but I was like, when uh, when is it like going to move on a little faster? And I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't really feel like that ever. And I do get bored in movies easily. Uh, I feel like maybe because it was like visually breathtaking and I that like matters a lot to me. In That's movies. true. We need to pay our respect. It was visually oh, very stunning. stunning. Yeah. Yeah. All his movies are. They really are. And this one in particular uh, felt like you could admire every just about every shot in the movie for it. The way Absolutely. it was composed. Ex- except for when she went up in the little pod into the s- cloudy room. With all the light, the CG oh, yeah. hair didn't and do the it. For the you. CG hair really threw me <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. Like it she took was me underwater out. Or something. Yeah, like she was. It's some sort of anti gravity chamber, it's but just her hair you can't was. Understand her hair was like time, Little Mermaid. I assume the gravity must be less in there, just because their bodies <laughs> are so big. They must live in a lower gravity. But yeah, the hair was a bit. Was they, you didn't have any other than that. Great. You, you <laughs> were. <laughs> <laughs> you were super into the visuals. Yeah, like I even think like. There's never usually alien movies are like everything's so like stark and like army-ish and <laughs> I don't know it was like stark even army. though like Pod was like whoa I like want one of those in my house it was so cool they were cool those looked like they were made of stone yeah you just yeah. fit into your minimalist aesthetic yeah no so like I wish my living room just no. had like a birdcage <laughs> in the corner and nothing <laughs> else <laughs> that'd be great here's a here's a a, a critique I have for the aesthetic. Oh, God. Now, the language was... It's very interesting, the concept of nonlinear. So they made uh, their 
their sentence structure round or when there was a lot of things to say it was kind of like a word cloud almost yeah where it's a bunch of these rings now abby how did you feel that this sophisticated eloquent uh mind transforming language was just essentially a bunch of coffee stain rings (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was actually interesting the way that they like pieced out each little like hairline yeah Mm. That was just, those were like words. Although that was a nitpick I had was when they're like, oh, the written language is nothing like the spoken language. Actually, it represents characters. And I'm like, so you're just talking about Mandarin then? Because that's, and she was like, we've never seen this before, but also I speak fluent Mandarin. I'm like, but that's what Mandarin is. The written language and the spoken language are nothing alike. (laughs) And they're not letters, they're characters. But, uh, and they have meaning. Does a character in Mandarin possess multiple structures yes. to a thought like characters are built up of there smaller we characters we didn't so know that matt hughes was fluent my, in I, Mandarin. i'm not I'll my wife that. lived there for a while no she didn't here's the <laughs> part <laughs> that i don't understand here's the part this is the only far-fetched part to me alien hands i'm fine with that i get it that's probably not <laughs> but the fact that she can look at the circle you know and with the splotches and start making sense of it that's impossible man no, we don't know some with, that's, with time and, the, and an iPad. Nah. She had there. that sweet they software. They were yeah, there for months software. and months. And I th- actually thought that in terms of tech, they did a good job at giving us uh, a sense of like realistic. It seemed to me grounded technology that it wasn't a stretch for me to think. I bet that they would have that. Yeah. That there was a way for them to uh, painstakingly chart the, you know, the shape and structure of every and then cross-reference right. them so that they could poke through them. On when even when they progress from like the fact that she stole that whiteboard the first time from the oxygen tanks and then like a few times later they've got the big whiteboard and now they've got this camera and now all of a sudden they've got all this printout in their office and then they've got the final like sweet TV that like basically like she can t- made a keyboard that can type a pictograph for yeah, them. That was, that was I, I thought, thought that, that was a really was, great progression. Yeah, that was a great progression. Started are pretty archaic with just them right. trying to s- do motions to each other, gestures, right. and then it progressed from a small whiteboard to a bigger whiteboard. Yeah. They got that bigger I like whiteboard. That little and, and then they oh got they the got that cool big iPad. Like the iPad really that big though. youth group I- whiteboard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is our chance before we're so far from it we can't see it anymore to um, celebrate the cinematography of a gentleman named Bradford Young. He was the director of photography on Is this Is he the picture. DOP on uh, the other ones as well? No, actually. You would know him from the movies A Most Violent Year and oh. Selma. He was Oh, the, okay. He was Most Violent Year was great. Selma seemed pretty... Selma, to me, looked standard. like a Lifetime movie. So. Yeah, <laughs> Selma felt pretty standard, but Most Violent Year was creative and yeah. pretty stunning. So, great job, Bradford Young. Thanks for the hard work. Hey, thanks for all the work, guys. Be young. And I'm not going to bother reading the names of all these different set designers and, uh, you know, guys. No, they'll get 20 seconds at the Oscars. (laughs) I do have one question, though. So say, I mean, she was the lady that saved the day, but there were pods all over 12 other places or 11 other places. Was she the only person that could have like or they all? They killed the the Russian guy that was nearly there. Like there's that whole part where like the the Russian linguist obviously had made a breakthrough and then the Russian government assassinated yeah. him because yeah. he was trying to share secrets, right? Right. Yeah, because I I thought that that was meant to infer that he was in this he was at the same place she was. Right. He was understanding that 
Oh, it's a weapon or a weapon and tool might not be, or it, it might right. not be a weapon. And the point of this was for them to share information anyway. Yeah. Uh, to bridge the gap between what they were withholding from one when another. And that was the problem with the Chinese stuff, with that stuff they overheard when they're like, oh, they're using Mahjong and so everything's going to be aggressive. So again, the the Chinese government had also got to a point where they'd had that conversation with why are you here? We're here to offer something. But the only f- paradigm they'd given the heptapods in China was an aggressive one because it was oh, a game. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the, the framework of the thinking really affects the right. way you communicate, which is great. We spent a lot of time on that whole <laughs> linguist stuff. Yeah. You know what? We didn't get any answers to why the ships were in the places they were. Again, maybe yeah, because I there is no answer. I thought that that was. Well, just then why did we spend so much time trying to figure it out? We didn't spend because any time that's that's to the that's the well. human time. Yeah, we that's spent what some humans, time. humans would do. Would be like, why are they here? What does it mean? Is there a pattern? Let's map it. Like if we were to go somewhere, we'd probably land in strategic places. Jeremy Renner put it in his narration. Just saying that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's all. That's all the exposition I like needed make, to make the story big. So I don't need everything. So we can feel like it's a worldwide yeah. event. We don't need the for it all to be tied together. The point is, for you sure. know, one's just in the ocean. I think that we've we've we are all agreeing to a certain extent that we like this movie, right? Yeah, yes. I liked it. I yeah. liked yeah. it as a linguist film. Fantastic linguist <laughs> film. <laughs> as an <laughs> alien <laughs> film. <laughs> Yeah, Fantastic, okay. one of the better okay. alien films. It's a cool alien film. <laughs> Obviously. But is it like five-star alien film? Like, let's go break the box office? Well, that's the point that I was nah. about to get at because, you know, we're not dealing with like some kind of uh, uh, offbeat indie movie, blah, blah, no. blah. So obviously you could go find something more creative elsewhere if that's what you're looking for. But in terms of like big studio movie, big budget, big director, A-list actor, this is a refreshing thing for 2016. Yes, 100%. 100%. We've had kind of a lull over yes. the last yeah. couple months. We've had a, this was I'd a, say we've had a run of really crappy movies over the last few months, and so this is a really great one. So it's a bit discouraging then to have its opening weekend uh, at the box office get trumped by trolls. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I prefer not to use that that word I meant it in all the discouraging (laughs) 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 all the discourteous ways (laughs) it could possibly be used (laughs) freaking trolls (laughs) Trump trolls might be good thanks for listening to You Hate Movies what did you think about uh, Arrival have you seen it yet please go to youhatemovies.com to leave a comment on this episode and any of our other episodes while you're at it make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and If you're there, you're poking around, you're looking at everything, and you have yet to buy a You Hate Movies t-shirt, you should be ashamed of yourself. And you can rectify that by purchasing one right now. 